this legacy that you leave behind is these kids. Like no one fucking cares about burn cycle in 40 years, you know, that's long gone. And the legacy that you're leaving behind is these humans and the way that they move through the world and who they think they are and who they think they can become. And I will give you this insane like moment with my mother. This was literally a week before she passed. And I said, mom, how did you raise us with so much patience? And she sat up and she said, your kids, they just want to be somebody. And the more we can let you be who you're becoming at home, the more comfortable and confident and accepting and and compassionate towards yourself you'll be as you start to move through the world because this is where the roots are. I first discovered Jessie through her raw, humble, and brutally honest shame rager post on Instagram. If you haven't seen it, she dances to Whitney Houston and she completely opens up about all of the things she feels ashamed of. I I can't even describe it. You have to see it for yourself. So it's linked in the show notes and I hope you can check it out. The point of it is that she reminds us when we speak our shame out loud, we take away its power. So here we go. Even though this would probably be better with some dance music in the background, I'm going to try it too. I feel shame for rushing through my kids' bedtime after I haven't seen them all day, and all they want is some of my attention just so I can get back to work. I feel shame for being jealous of Dave for becoming the primary breadwinner of the family when I used to be for so long. I feel shame for still wanting my old life sometimes, my life before kids. I feel shame for wanting to fit into my pre-pregnancy clothes because it feels so vain and unimportant when it comes to the bigger picture. That was really hard, but Jesse's right. I do feel a little bit better. And I hope that by sharing my shame, it helps someone else feel better too. Welcome to Work Like a Mother, a podcast dedicated to real conversations with incredible women juggling work, life, and motherhood. I'm Bridget Garsh, co-founder of Neighbor Schools, and your host. Today, I'm excited to sit down with Jesse Dooley, founder of Burn Cycle, CEO of the Dooleys. Rarely do you get to meet someone who is willing to tell it how it is and expose all of their vulnerabilities, their successes, their faults, and their passions. Jesse Dooley, a fearless entrepreneur, takes truth telling to a whole other level. If only we all had the courage to be as honest with ourselves and each other as Jesse. Thank you so, so much for joining me today. I'm very grateful to be here. Thank you for having me. I love, I love a good, you know, jam sesh with moms that are getting after it. So it's hard. We feel isolated a lot. So I really appreciate it. I appreciate the conversation. You know, what's so interesting is we get so in like our own tornadoes or, I mean, that's literally my most used emoji is the tornado to self-describe. People are like, how are you? And I just tornado. Um, And then, and you always think it's just you and like, everybody else is killing it and they can text people back. And like right now I'm at, where am I? What am I at? It's, it's so embarrassing. It's like, oh, 186 unread texts and 4,000 
work emails in 63. There's like two types of people in this world. Right. And I'm like the, the, but I just am always like, look at them. They're cooking dinner. They're not reheating. They are cooking. They're texting back. Their kids are going to all of the doctor's appointments at the appropriate time. And I am just over here with seven parking tickets in my center console, 14 empty coffee cup, coffee cups, you know? So yeah, it's like we get in our own little spiral and then you have one conversation with another mom and you're like, Oh shit. Oh, you too. Okay. It's just, it's nice. But I wish we had the time to pull our heads up a little bit more and, and do it more often. So these podcasts are nice because you could listen to it and it sort of feels like you got a whole community behind you and you're like, Oh my God, it's not just me. Right. Yeah. I'm not the only one who's falling apart. Like everybody else mm-hmm. is living mm-hmm. through this too. I read the mission statement for your spin studio that you started and it made me, first of all, so desperately like wish that you were in Boston and not on the other side of the the country. But can you share a bit about your journey to start your studio and the studio's mission? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You bet. So it, it, um, I was a producer, I'm a recovering producer as a producer in a former life. So I spent close to a decade working in the production industry and lived in Los Angeles and did that, did the whole jam. Um, and I had a quarter life crisis and, um, moved to India and Nepal and did, I always say I did that before eat, pray, love. Um, but, uh, um, then I moved back to Portland where I'm from and got back into production here, but was still like, man, this is not, this is not the thing. And then finally I found the thing that hit um, with burn cycle. And it was just, it's not like a genius idea. It's, it's been done for years and people were doing it on much larger scales and far better than me, but it just landed. It just, something sat with me. Um, and so I'm like, fuck yeah. I'm oh, sorry. I swear. Like I you can, you're good. My to kids swear. Are you're going to go to college on the swear jar in this house. Um, um, my four-year-old, we have a lot, we've been reading a lot of books about inappropriate words because mm. he has started mm. to say, fuck it in completely perfect Ooh. context and oh, it's man. like impressive, but also horrifying and really embarrassing so, all in one tiny minute. So to go back to the, um, so I knew what I, I, so I, so I, I'm like, all right, this is what I mean. This is what I'm going to do. This is it. It's just like everything clicked. All pistons were firing. I'm like, yes. And, uh, this is in December and I basically wrote a business plan, um, figured it all out. I had a space by January. And then I also found out I was pregnant with my first child and I was like, well, fuck, here we go. Um, and I would obviously would not recommend this to anyone, but it's all I know. And I'm so grateful for these, this like confluence of motherhood and starting a business happening at the same time, because I'm so grateful for how they were woven together to create what I created with Burn Cycle and then also how I've raised my kids thus far. So um, we opened just three weeks after I had my first kid and it was fucking wild, man. It was just wild. Um, And then it just became so abundantly like crystal fucking clear what this space and this place was going to be about because we don't have the lights on. We don't. And, and again, I didn't, I, you know, I, I saw soul cycle and flywheel doing this thing and I saw the local studios doing it and I was like a little false bravado. I'm like, I can do it better um, for my people. And, uh, and so I'm not reinventing the wheel here. I'm just taking what's already out there and what I, you know, again, my humble opinion, making it better and, and, and for our, our community and our people. And so 
Um, anyway, so all, all of that to, to, to say that this community in this space became so much about mental health and like digging in and, and just showing up for myself, which obviously, you know, as a mother is like the dog comes before you, you know, like everything, every, all the needs come before you and, and the support of this community and, you know, just the real, the connection aspect of feeling seen and heard. But yeah, it was really, it was really just such a, such a eye-opening and humbling experience that wouldn't have happened had that, had that timeline that was not ideal, um, but it all happens for a reason. And so you just highlighted the, the sort of peaks, the valleys. I mean, you, you went the whole journey, right. Of launching this studio, having a baby all happening at the same time. And then you went and had two more kids, right? So yeah, we grew our business 500% in five years. In the same five years, I had all three kids. So it was like a sh- total shit show. But also, I don't know any different. I'm so grateful my kids understand that my world is not just them. Mm-hmm. So they, by nature of coming to work with me all the time and seeing me work, also see that they have to fit into a larger world. Um, and I, and I'm grateful for that too, is then they think about, you know, their respective communities and how they fit in and then, you know, they can hold conversations with adults in ways that I see other kids maybe not being able to, because they didn't always go to daycare. They, they were at the studios with us. And so we're like, talk, you're the front of the house. Come on, let's do it. <laughs> you got to clean. You got time to lean. You got time to clean. And they, it's, it's fun. It's really fun. They love, they love it. They love like talking into the microphones and they love music. And so it's an interesting trade-off. You know, we, we maybe didn't get picnics in the park all the time, but they, <laughs> they, uh, they, they have a good time and they can recite most Beyonce lyrics, which <laughs> is really hilarious. And I'm very proud of They like can't sleep to lullabies, but they can sleep to like Jay-Z. <laughs> but it's, it's fine. (laughs) Well, I want to circle back to something you said a few minutes ago when you were talking about how you're launching the studio, right? Your body can't physically do the things that you want it to do. And that your studio is, you know, sort of promising to people. Cause I think it highlights bounce back culture. Like, Oh God, that fucking kills me. Sorry. Sorry. No, you're good. And I, I totally did it. I was, I was so wrapped up in that too. Your first, well, your first kid, you don't even know, you know, you're by the third kid. I was like, take a boomerang on my jiggle. You know how they don't tell you that your belly goes back down. And so you just think you're going to like pop out a kid and then your belly's going to go down. Yeah. The third kid, I was like, no shit. Look at this. It was like Santa Claus. It was just like, it was like, what it's like my aunt Debbie's jello mold, man. That's like, it's, but the first one, you're just like, fuck, it is so, I just think it's so ridiculous. And it's an interesting thing is I'm, I'm a very small framed woman and I want to be really conscious around being in the fitness industry. Um, you know, a lot of people really like to work out and then they like have these banging bods and they just fucking work out like six hours a week and, or day and only eat chicken breasts. And then they're on Instagram and they're like, you can have this too. And you're like, thank you. <laughs> um, and so I, as a very small frame, I, 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 you know, so much genetics, but when you have a baby, you know, obviously your body changes. And I had, um, I was like 50 to 60 pounds heavier than I had ever been. I'm only five, two. So, you know, you, you put on the weight where you, um, and here I am trying to sell 
physical fitness that I can't physically do myself because I had literally just shoved a human out. You know, you just had a baby and there's no way I could do it. My abs are just so many things and you're human, but it was so fucking humbling. And, you know, there's a part of you that's humiliating as like this person that's, I'm going to confidently start this business and I can't do it. And so I say humiliating, not because of the weight gain, because I couldn't do the thing that I was supposed to be like leading the charge on. Well, it's also, you were just saying it too. Like it's the, the, why does everybody feel the need to comment? I mean, like, so my youngest now is 21 months and still feels fresh. Still people are like, you know, Oh, look, like you've really taken off the baby weight or like, Oh, wow. Like, how are you feeling? It looks like you took off some of the baby. And like, there's still a commentary about it. Like I, I feel like there's also, I don't, I don't even know what to call it. Right. Like there's like bounce back culture, which feels very tied to those early months of postpartum, but it just lingers. It's almost like the minute you become pregnant, people can comment on your body, whether you're carrying high or low, or whether it looks like you're having twins or why are you so small and how big is the baby? And then it just continues for the rest of your life? Like when does that experience end? I am going to not try to go off the deep end on this as yesterday was the anniversary of Roe versus Wade. So female bodies to me are like just the most complex, amazing, beautiful thing that like, there's such a deep, deep, like my mother tongue is rage when it comes to commenting on female bodies, because it's like, I, I, we are literally like connecting to the fucking tides, right? Like it's so objectifying and mm-hmm. guy just drives me nuts. Well, one of the other things you were just talking about a minute ago was, you know, how involved your kids have been throughout your journey. Mm-hmm. So how do you think your career has influenced your motherhood and how do you mm-hmm. think your motherhood has influenced your career? That's a great question. I think one of the things with getting into this particular industry is that I don't have inventory. I don't have like medical supplies or food that I, I have humans. And so the humans that make up my team are the most important part of the business. We don't need a roof over our head. You know, we can really do this anywhere. We don't, but it is, it, it has always been about them. My father uh, is a longtime entrepreneur and really did incredible stuff before it was expected. Or, I mean, just the communities that he built and the investments that he put in people. So there was no other way to, you build a business by building the people up and you build communities up within the business and then it grows out from there. And that was the way he approached it. So I never, and I was raised in his business and doing this. And so, mm. um, you know, we had just, he was in construction. So very um, different than mine is a very privileged community. And I grew up in, in you know, very, he had like plants and different thing, but it, the sense of community was still there. And I saw the investment in the people. And so that has always intrinsically been a part of who we are. Um, and so it, it's really interesting to then start this business and then have it. So, so it's just like, like, uh, nurture, nurture, nurture It's just so much mm-hmm. nurturing. And there have been 
so many times where I've had to check myself because all of my empathy went to my employees and I get home and the fuse is so short that I just am like losing it with these amazing little humans. And my husband will, will check me. Um, I'm grateful. I mean, I hate it in the moment. You know, you're like, I could break a plate right now. I'm so mad that you said that, but it's I'm mad because it's true. Um, we just get this like empathy exhaustion of caring about we're, we're in such an approval rich environment. It's performance-based. It's like highly emotional, you know? And so it's been, it's been a real tug of war with like giving so much to the community and giving so much to the team and then getting home and having nothing, 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 mm-hmm. nothing left. The other thing that was a big aha moment for me that has still has become still just a critical part of nurturing both of both of my families, quote unquote, for lack of a better term, is that it takes so little. You just have to be super present. So if I can give somebody 30 minutes of like really active listening where I'm not doing anything else and I'm really engaged enough to like ask them questions and you really want to know about their lives and want to know about, you know, what they're doing. Um, it, that human connection is so powerful. Well, and it gives you an opportunity to share it with the kids too. Cause if you don't have time in that moment, then you can point to something and it feels concrete to be like, Oh, remember, we're going to do this thing Yes, 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 yes. on this day. And instead of feeling like, I don't have time for this right now, we can't do it. And then they're hearing no. And then you're feeling guilty because you're saying no. And then there's, you're, you're making it hopeful. You're like yeah. making it. And it's consistent. Joyful. So they, they are, they, they learn boundaries too. And like our a big thing in our families, it's not, no, it's just not now. It's so funny how the crossover, I'm just always like, man, everybody just wants snacks, affection, <laughs> you know, eye contact. Whew. Well, I mean, it feels like it all circles around to what you were just saying too, like connection. Um, one mm. of the ways that I felt super connected to you to like start was two of our former guests from Worth Like a Mother, Kaylee and Kelly, they're the founders oh. of Slumberkins. They told me that we needed to have you on the show. And they introduced me to your shame rager. (laughs) And I felt so connected to you in hearing your story, but also feeling so much permission for myself to let things out and to let out my own shame and not let it take, you know, control of me. And we'll, we'll share the real when we, when we launch your, your episode, but can you share a little bit about the idea where, like where this came from and the response that you've received to it? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's so I, I have a, I think my husband always says this, the space between what I'm thinking and what I'm saying is so short. I think I've done enough and lived hard enough because man, there's like not a lot I won't do. Like you, somebody dares me to do something. So my mom coined this term for me when I was a kid, the reckless optimist, because she's like, man, if you just put her in a helmet, she'll literally do anything. And not a lot has changed since then. I love thrill. I've had multiple careers and I've had plenty of shit boyfriends. And like, I want to live a really big fucking life. And that is fucking messy. It is so messy to try to live like a passionate big life. And I I want experiences. And so I have all this stuff. 
you know, I, I journal a lot and I'm in, I've been in therapy for years for stuff. I've, I've had a lot of mental health struggles over the years. I was suicidal as a teenager and, and then had a, had a really bad mental breakdown in 2018 um, after I had my, my last babe and, and my business scaled too quickly. And so I just finally got to the point where I was like, fuck this noise. If I'm not saying this, no one else is going to. And so I just started to talk about it more and not in a way where I'm trying to externally process to take it off my chest to put it on other people's. It's not a vent. Mm-hmm. It's more of like the, again, a part of just how I operate is bear hugs. Like, come on in, come on in. If I say this, then maybe you'll feel, you know, a little more comfortable in who you are and you feel less isolated. Mm-hmm. Like share your shame, you know, our Lord and savior, Brene Brown, share your shame. Um, and so I got to the point through the pandemic where I was like, I can't fucking do this. I feel like garbage because we all did. It was sort of all came about as like this joke of like, well, if I'm going to share my shame, we're going to fucking rage and we're going to play Whitney Houston and we're going to do it. I'm just going to get it all out. It's like, we're not going to, I'm not going to say like one thing in an Instagram post. I'm going to binge shame, sharing my shame. And so, and I just did it one morning to say like, fuck it. Um, which is also like my life motto is fuck it. And then I didn't really think it wasn't for anyone else. It was totally for me. And I was like, fuck it though. I'm going to put it on the internet. And then I had no idea. And I was like, dear God, we are holding a lot of shit in. We got to do this more. We've got to do this more. And so we've actually talked about um, this year trying to get, you know, build more of a library of other women doing it. Just there's so many people that have such different lived experiences that if we can just mm-hmm. just put it out there, then you just feel so, you feel so much more in control of it, right? Because the, the power of the shame is that it's a secret that you don't want anyone to know that you're failing, that you're not good enough, that you're comparing yourself. And so I, th- I think there's just such tremendous power in sharing that. What advice would you have given your pre-mom self to help you prepare for motherhood? No one's an overnight expert and anyone that thinks that they are is a total asshole in my humble opinion. You know, I think reflecting on it with the sense of curiosity versus failure of like, well, I didn't think about this. And you know, giving yourself this, this grace that absolutely no one is doing this perfectly. There is no one, there is not one person that is doing this without second guessing themselves. I think so, so like dark parts and challenging parts and really hard parts, but they're, they're temporary, just like the good parts are, you know what I mean? So just, you know, the, uh, there's a great book and I can't remember who it's by. It's called The Dip. But, you know, people think success or like motherhood is just going to be this breezy thing, but it's really a series of dips Mm. and it's ups and down. It's up and down. And so constantly telling myself I'm in a dip. I'm not down. I'm just in a dip. I'm not down. I'm bending, but I'm not breaking. I'm bending. I'm bending. I'm not going to break. And sometimes you break and that's fine. Um, But that there's, I think. You know, and I don't, I, I can't say that I would have believed anyone because I think people gave me this advice too, going into it. And people are like, it's so hard, but you have like that sense of, you have no fucking clue, right? Yeah. You know, I don't know. I don't know. I think just also ask for help, man. Talk, I love what you're doing with childcare. And I would just be like, mom, mother in law, aunt, neighbor, Dave, 
my neighbor Dave, who's like this old guy, very trustworthy. I thought you were calling my husband. His name's Dave. I'm oh, like, oh, Dave, you just knew Dave. Dave, Dave just, come over here. People will offer to help. And it is such a weird place for women to like not want to accept help. And I'm like, do you want to take them? Great, take them, take them like that. If anyone offers to bring you food, take it. If anybody offers to anything, take it. Old clothes, strollers, take it. Like, you know, just people offer to help you take it. Um, that That's a, that's a, Big one. It's a big one too. And just buy the Lunchables. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just buy the fucking Lunchables, man. You know what? I, you know what? Something else. I've, I'm giving a lot of advice. You said one piece of advice, but classic Dooley. I'm like, here's my dissertation on advice. Something that was really crazy and mind-boggling that my husband and I did actually was like, so he's an entrepreneur and I'm an entrepreneur. So we sit down and we're like, we're co-founding the most important thing that we will ever build the family. How are we going to do this? What are your strengths and what are mine? And part of the reason why I think we were able to have so many children, three is what feels like a lot to me, might as well be 200 is that we sat down and talked through like what our strengths are and like where we see ourselves doing things that won't necessarily burn us out based on our job so he runs a super cut and dry medical diagnostics company like it's not mine is very like passion-led and people-led and there's so much like I said nurturing and and he I will humbly say is the lead parent and the, the expectation of course is that the mother always is and I'm like yeah no I'm gonna I get far more satisfaction working than I do being a mother it's just I I get a tremendous amount of fulfillment from my family I don't want to sound like a dick but I do think there are people out there that um, we are ashamed to say that I garner a lot more confidence and sense of self and identity from my career. And that is okay to say. Um, and so we sat down and we're like, okay, based on what you do, based on your strengths, he's going to be the CEO and I'm going to be the COO. So he manages the people and I run the ops. So he does like bedtimes and store, like he like gets them all going. He keeps the schedule going and I do laundry, dishes, grocery shop, meal prep, doctor's appointments, extracurricular activities. Like I'm really good at dialing all that in. And then when they're like, I take his lead on discipline methods. I take his lead on like how we're going to structure, you know, like them getting along or, or when we need to talk about things or like family rituals and things for like culture, he's really good at like stick follow through and sticking to that stuff. Mm-hmm. And we, of course, talk about it together, but it was a really interesting thing that we did that really helped us navigate the beginning stages where I wasn't, you know, cause the pressure to follow like parenting methods, I feel like falls on us moms. Like we're supposed to be the experts and, um, and I'm like, I can run a calendar like a fucking boss. So I'm going to need you to read this, the books and tell us how we work with our strong-willed children and things like that. And, and it, it was just a really, I don't know if a lot of people sit down and really have that conversation of like, where do you see yourself in this parenting journey? And how do you see us working together? And I think because we were both business owners and that's the language that we speak, we're like, all right, are we going to scale this? We're going to have more than one, you know, like who's running the finances? You have this, it's like a really 
optimistic way to look at it too, instead of, because you're playing to people's strengths rather than seeing, you know, well, why am I always the one reading the stories and the other person isn't right. Rather than making it a source of conflict or seeing it as a weakness, right. Mm -hmm. You're, you're thinking of it just like you would in a business. Like how do we identify everybody's strengths? And then we play to those strengths and it takes the emotion out of it too, because it makes it more tactical and operations rather than a feeling of, I don't know, inequity uh, amongst the the partners. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting too. When you, it's so hard because how many times do I just like, or we, I guess, you know, everybody has it. You have such resentment because your partner's not doing enough in your mind or whatever, but then you like, don't notice that the lawn is always mowed and the garbage cans are always mm-hmm. out. And like the things, you know, you just, you know, those things. Um, and, and to, to have this approach of knowing what lanes we're in and being able mm-hmm. to just, I mean, and, and it takes a lot of, I would, I would say like an enormous amount of um, internal will to like, let them, you know, do their thing when you maybe would do it differently. And and it's such a constant ebb and flow because there's no rules with kids. It's not like there's, well, we try to put them in place and have boundaries and structure, but you know, there, one of them is these things are going to happen. And so the, the larger picture, I think the vision again, to talk in business is like, are they going to grow up in a supportive home? You know, in my, again, in my opinion, I feel like they come out and they're like, they are who they are. And it's just our job to keep them alive and in their lane and be the best that they can be. And so if we don't believe in our partners to do that, and and again, I'm probably, I'm speaking from a tremendous place of privilege, but um, you know, just the, the, let's just do it together. And we know it's, there's no right or wrong way. It's just the way that we can do it in the most supportive way. And that's also not to say that we don't bicker all the time or like, you know, have our, our jam sessions of like, I want to come back to marriage counseling, <laughs> you know, cause that's real. Cause that's fun. Cause that's marriage. That's what it is. That's what it's the reality of it. So, but it's, uh, it's just always trying to zoom out and be like, okay, does this matter in the big picture? And, and what do these kids feel from us right now? And it should just be connection, stability, grounding energy, you know, and that, that we can all let each other be who we need to be as long as it's respectful. And all right. I want to do some rapid fire questions for oh, you. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. What's one piece of mom gear you can't live without? Oh, fucking Spanx. I don't know. Um, yeah. <laughs> Extra large tampons. I said it. I'm sorry. I just, I mean, um, mom, you're a truth teller. That's, that's, that should be your hashtag. Oh my teller. Like, I'm so sorry, but if this is like to the things that happen down there after you become a mom, you're like, are you fucking kidding me with this right now? Mm-hmm. Are you fucking kidding me? I don't know. We got that $200 bounce house off Amazon. And that shit is like a playpen for, you know, eight year olds. We just put it in the backyard and call it the fracture palace and cross our fingers. No one gets hit in the eye and it keeps them out there for like hours. Like great, great bounce house. That's the secret to parenting. Get it. Amazon bounce house. <laughs> Who do you love to follow on Instagram? You know who I love to follow on Instagram is B Scott. They are one of the first um, like trans um, black celebrity, like producer, writer, like 
just a fucking creator and they are like top notch on the breaking news and the, the, the pop culture. And they always just post like those gems of those videos or kind of like all the good news websites and stuff like that. But B Scott just always has these videos where you're like, where did you even find that? All right. What's one hack that makes your life easier? Hmm. What's a hack that makes your life easier? Other than Lunchables. Yeah. Lunchables, right? Um, we do have the, we do have a command central in our house with the whiteboard and the chore charts and everything is written out for the month and we, and then it matches our Google Cal. So if we're not there and just having a scheduling system as someone that, you know, operates a, a, a business where scheduling is so critical and having, and knowing where all of the missing pieces or moving parts need to be, I don't know. I feel like I didn't have a good answer to that question. Oh, you know what we do? You're too you know hard on yourself. I know. I this, we have this really long, steep driveway. This is a nice hack that's making my life easier. Instead of punishing my children, they have to run up the driveway. So it's a twofold. It gets their energy out, and also it's a nice discipline technique. I'm like, go run laps, rain or shine, 31 degrees. I don't care. They got to run up and down the driveway five times if they get in trouble. And that was that is lovely. I like that about. <laughs> Anyways. All right. Last one. What's okay. on your nightstand right now? Oh my gosh. I should send you a picture. It's like, it's like, it's like the, the weed gummies for sleeping, you know, like my, my poor kids don't know what they're. And so they call them mommy vitamins. And I was like, don't talk about it in public. And they're like, we're not allowed to eat mommy vitamins. And I'm like, cha-ching. Um, uh, so I have massive nighttime anxiety. I just can't ever sleep. And so I've got like melatonin vitamins and then like five books on grief right now. So since I'm still sort of, not still sort of, I'm very much still processing the, the loss of the matriarch, the one and only the queen. Uh, she's a righteous mother and a mother to anyone and everyone. And so it was a big loss when we lost her. So trying to, to read those things. I also have a framed picture um, of a, of a card from my dad sent me flowers. Mm. And when I was a sophomore in high school and I got dumped and says, tough times don't last, but tough girls do. And it was, I've saved that for however many years because I'm 40 now and I was 14, 15 when that happened. And so that's always framed on my bedside table. So that no matter what, no matter what. So yeah. Well, yeah. I could talk to you forever. Um, thank you so, so much for sharing so much of your story for being so open and honest and oh. again, truth teller. Um, it's really amazing. Cool. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. This is a wonderful conversation thing. And I'm very, very grateful for the opportunity. Work Like a Mother is produced by Neighbor Schools. Neighbor Schools is a startup in Boston that I co-founded in 2018 to help parents find daycare. As a first-time parent, finding childcare can feel scary and intimidating. At Neighbor Schools, we help you find daycare you'll feel really good about so you can go back to work with the peace of mind that your little one is getting the socialization, support, and stimulation they need to learn and grow. 
We've helped thousands of moms and dads figure out the daycare search. Check us out at neighborschools.com. And when you get in touch, mention that you discovered us on the podcast. Thanks for joining me today. We'll see you next time.